Well, hello, you geeky people. Welcome back to Geeking with Destination Venus. Reggie here again with another hour of geeky news, views and reviews. And we are very review heavy this week as I try to continue my 2024 resolution of not jumping about all over the place in every episode, but actually focusing on something for a bit. Oh, look, a squirrel. Anyway, we are mostly review heavy this week there's going to be a little bit of talky talk a little bit of news at the end of the show but for now there's one huge thing that we need to talk about so kevin cue the music Yes, anyone who's been to the cinema or watched a Disney Plus show in the last five or ten years or so will know that that is the music that heralds every single Marvel thing. Except it isn't, because I'm going to review Echo, and Echo didn't use that, and I'm not entirely sure why. So, spoilers coming up, but for now, just to start with, here's a quick spoiler-free review of the show Echo from Marvel on Disney Plus right now. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it and want to know whether you should or not without getting spoiled. OK, I'm nice like that. So Echo, um, it is about Echo, who is a character from Marvel Comics. She's mostly in the Daredevil stories. And I will be honest, I have not read very much of her comic based exploits. She's an interesting foil to Daredevil, because, of course, Daredevil is blind for a given value of blind. I mean, he sees a world on fire or whatever nonsense they've come up with. But, you know, Matt Murdock, Daredevil cannot see. Um, so he's blind. Uh, Echo is deaf. So you've got a blind hero, a deaf hero. That is an interesting dynamic between them in the books that I've read. Uh, other interesting things about Echo is she's Native American, which is unusual in Marvel, or at least there are other Native American characters in Marvel, but they generally are somewhat stereotypical, and they're called things like Warpath and stuff, and were mostly created in the 70s, and their origins and certainly their early stories are, how shall we put this, a little bit racist? bit little bit like many of the african-american characters in the marvel universe uh, characters like luke cage for example um characters that were created in the 70s with a noble heart and all kinds of good intentions but which did because of the way that they were created and the the, the, the spirit of the times and all of that were created in a way that leaned into lots of stereotypes and, you know, you wouldn't create a character like that now. Now, what Marvel is busy doing with some of these legacy characters like Black Panther, like, well, did it very successfully, in fact, with Black, Black Panther, uh, like Falcon, like Luke Cage, is stripping out 
all of the problematic stuff and making them good, solid characters. All well and good, all brilliant. Echo was created after that time. Echo was created, uh, I think, in the early 2000s, if I'm getting my chronology right. What she has in common with a lot of African-American characters is that she was created by a couple of white guys. Uh, she was created by David Mack and Joe Quesada, who at the time, I don't... Actually, no, at the time, I think Quesada probably was in charge of Marvel Comics at that point. And it doesn't really matter. What matters more is that she was created by non-Native Americans who nevertheless did actually do a bit of research and create a character that is credible, rather than what happened in the 70s with characters being created that were essentially a loose collection of stereotypes. That's not and never has been Echo. In the comics, Echo is presented as the adopted daughter of Kingpin, and that's something that has carried through into the TV show. I'm not sounding the spoiler horn right now, because I'm going to talk about Hawkeye. If you haven't seen Hawkeye yet, I'm assuming it's because you don't care. It's like three years old at this point. But if you do care about not getting spoiled for Hawkeye and you haven't seen it yet, stick your fingers in the in your ears for a minute or two, OK? In the show, she is portrayed sort of as an adopted daughter of Kingpin. Um, Kingpin is very much a part of her story in the show version of Echo. He, she refers to him in the show as uncle. And he is presented as somebody who helped her father, who was one of his lieutenants, raise her before having her father killed. Something which has not yet been explained. We do not know why Kingpin had her father killed. We just know that he gave the order. In the Hawkeye show, one of the things that we that happens is Echo finds out that it was Kingpin who gave the order to have her father murdered. And the Hawkeye show ends with Echo shooting Kingpin in the face. If you think all of that is spoilers, all of that is actually recapped in the first five minutes or so of episode one of the Echo show. So I'm not really spoilering anything there. If you're going to watch Echo, you're going to get that in the first five minutes. That's all I'm saying about the story until I've done the spoiler horn thing. Uh, what I will say is that I really, really enjoyed this show. I really liked the way Native American society is shown. It felt authentic. I'm in no position to say whether it is or is not the way Native Americans in modern day America live, but it felt real. It didn't feel stereotyped uh where there are references to stereotype it very much was the native americans making fun of the ignorant white folk and it was not native american culture that was the butt of the joke which i appreciated i, I really liked that uh, it also had quite a large cast of people who appeared to me to be Native American. Again, I'm not going to say that like everyone playing a Native American character in that show is a bona fide Native American. I'm not even sure what that would mean. But again, it didn't, you know, there was nobody was in red face. It did not seem that they'd, you know, done the whole John Wayne thing of casting a bunch of people who are not Native American to play Native Americans. There was not that 
going on either. So I liked that. Now, all of that, of course, doesn't matter a jot if the show was rubbish. So that's all right, then, because the show is a long way from being rubbish. Is it my favourite Marvel show? Um, I don't think so, but it's up there. It's probably certainly in my top five, maybe my top three. And I think it might be better than some of the shows I liked more, if I'm honest. Uh, I suspect, you know, objectively, if I'm going to look at, you know, things like storytelling and uh, cinematography and narrative and acting performances and all of that, I'm going to look at all of that. It's probably a better show than Hawkeye. I like Hawkeye more because it's become part of my Christmas tradition and I really like Hayley Stanfield. Uh, but I, I think Echo might actually be a technically better show. As I say, Echo up there in my top five. I love, 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 loved it. couple of things that I will, again, say before I sound the spoiler horn because I think people who haven't seen the show might need to hear this. The publicity for this show leaned big on the fact that Vincent D'Onofrio would be reprising his role as Kingpin uh, as he played him in the Netflix Daredevil series and also that Charlie Cox would be reprising his role as Matt Murdock stroke Daredevil in the Echo show again from the Netflix show. Now, that all seems reasonable. Vincent D'Onofrio plays Kingpin in Hawkeye. So that's happened once before. And Charlie Cox plays Matt Murdock stroke Daredevil in She-Hulk. So that's also happened before. He's in She-Hulk quite a lot. And actually, there's a double entendre there, which I didn't intend, but is appropriate. But this is a family show, so we're glossing over it. However, if you were looking to see a lot of Charlie Cox in this show, tough, you ain't gonna. You're gonna see about as much of Charlie Cox in the entire five episode show as you did in the 30 second trailer. Okay, so don't get excited for Charlie Cox as Daredevil. Do, however, get excited for Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin because, oh, oh, he's back. Now, there were some criticisms of Vincent D'Onofrio's role as Kingpin in Hawkeye, which was a little bit funky. He was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. He still did the voice, which I can't do, so I'm not even going to try it. But he was a much lighter version of Kingpin in Hawkeye. He's back as the really big, scary guy who smashes people's heads in with car doors, as portrayed in the Netflix Daredevil show in Echo. Echo is a much more violent, much more hard-boiled show than Hawkeye was. And it actually does a really good job of not making that tonal handbrake turn feel weird or forced. So Vincent D'Onofrio in this, I'm going to say more once the spoiler horn's gone, but he's amazing. And honestly, if you were thinking you might watch Echo because you wanted to see more of Charlie Cox, forget about it. You ain't going to see a lot of Charlie Cox and it really doesn't matter. Trust me, if you're looking for martial arts and chop socky, you are not going to be disappointed. This is an awesome, awesome, awesome show. Okay, so with that, uh, I'm first I'm going to show you the I'm going to show you I'm not going to show you anything. This is a, an audio medium. I'm going to I'm going to play you the audio from the trailer so that you can get a sense of the feel of this show if you haven't seen it already. And then I'm going to do the spoiler horn. And then, ladies and gentlemen, 
we are gonna get into it. Maya, you have so much pain in you, so much rage that you can't contain it. So, who's the monster? Marvel Studios Echo. All episodes now streaming on Disney Plus. Spoilers! Spoilers! Okay, as of now, you have been warned. Spoilers for Marvel's Echo coming in three, two, one. Right. What you heard on that trailer was the voice of Vincent D'Onofrio as the Kingpin. He always sounds like that. He's so menacing. Because the big spoiler that no one is surprised by is that even though she shot him in the face, Kingpin is not dead. You will also have noted that nobody calls anybody Echo right up until the voiceover dude who says, Marvel's Echo, all episodes streaming now. That is because even though she's called Echo in the comics, just like Hawkeye, who is definitely called Hawkeye in the comics, nobody at any point so far, right up until the end of the show, has called her Echo, just as nobody calls Hawkeye Hawkeye. She is a gangster and she goes by her real name. She is Maya Lopez. What we get in the beginning of the show is a bit more of Maya's backstory. We know from watching Hawkeye, and again, spoilers, but, you know, the horn sounded now. What we know from watching Hawkeye is that she lived in New York with her father, also Native American. That's how that works. And that she struggled a little bit in school because of her deafness, but... Her father didn't have the money to put her through a sort of specialist school for deaf children. So she just went to normal school and she had to learn to deal with that. And we see in everything she does in both Hawkeye and Echo, Maya has no problem dealing with the hearing world. She lip reads, she signs, she's fine. We also saw, watching the Hawkeye show that Kingpin appears in flashback with her as a child. So she's known Kingpin since she was a little girl. And even as a little girl, she called, you know, even before her father died, she calls him uncle. Uh, he picks her up from school sometimes. I'm not sure what the relationship between Kingpin and Maya's dad must have been in this world. But I don't know. I don't know many crime bosses who pick up their lieutenant's kids from school, is all I'm saying. Either that's going to be quite a big thing at some point in the future, if you know the show lasts that long, or we're just never mentioning this again, and it's a MacGuffin, and we're not supposed to even be thinking about it. I'm not sure which. Uh, possibly both. You never know with Marvel. Anyway, we have also seen that she is tough. She is a very capable combatant. In hand-to-hand -hand combat, she's very capable with firearms, and she is a stone-cold killer. She, we have seen, will kill with no hesitation and no remorse. She doesn't necessarily have good guy written all over her, is all I'm saying. That's the Maya we know from Hawkeye. In Echo, we learn a little bit more. We see why her father took Maya to New York. They're actually from uh, a little town. It's never actually stated it's on a, a, a Native American reservation, but I suspect it is in Ohio 
the father has some kind of organised crime kind of connections. And we know this because we see a, a happy extended family all sitting telling stories. Maya is in a little tent made out of a curtain over the climbing frame with her cousin making shadow pictures and telling stories while the grown-ups sit around um, and chat. That, that kind of, of quite relaxed summer's evening kind of vibe going on. And then everybody goes home and Maya comes in from the tent because it's raining and she wants hot chocolate, but there is none. So her mum says, hey, come with me to the store and we'll go get some. So they pile in the car and head to the store in the driving rain. And then the brakes don't work and the car is in an accident. Maya's mother is killed instantly in that accident. And Maya loses a foot because that's the other thing about Maya Lopez Echo. Uh, she's not just Native American. That's not the only remarkable thing about her in the Marvel Universe. She is also deaf and she's an amputee if you were going to be cynical and some people have been she ticks a lot of boxes on the old diversity tick list that's not why any of that is part of her character just trust me on this she is no diversity hire okay now that's how we find out that even at this stage even before they get to new york maya's dad has criminal connections because it's almost a throwaway comment, but in the hospital, while young Maya's dad is talking to young Maya's grandma, great aunt, something like that, Maya's dad tells Maya's grandma that we know who cut the brakes and they've been taken care of. That's a very gangstery thing to say. Maya's grandma at this stage has just lost her daughter, and so she's very cross. And she basically says, you know, you're dead to me. Get out of town. Don't want to know. And that's when Maya's dad leaves and goes to New York, taking Maya with her, much to the, to, to the distress of both Maya and Maya's cousin, who are very close, like sisters. We get all of that backstory out of the way, including lots of flashbacks to the Hawkeye show, which cut out almost every whimsical, silly Christmassy reference that could have been and actually makes the Hawkeye show looked quite hard-boiled, which it really wasn't. So, nicely done. Brilliant job of editing. Then we get into the show proper. As Maya returns home, and we wonder why she's gone home, till we see that the big company in town is Fisk Industries. It is not clear whether she truly understands that Fisk is not dead at this point, but she's clearly making a play for his kingdom. She even tells her cousin, who is both the local crime boss and the guy who runs the local roller rink, they had a king. It's time for a queen. She's angling to take over Fisk's criminal empire. But in doing this, one of the things she does is arrange for a rail car full of weapons that goes through town through the Fisk Industries rail yard, in fact, to be booby-trapped so that when he gets to New York, it blows up. That attracts attention from Fisk's enforcers who arrive in town to deal with her. And there's a whole thing about that. And then whilst, whilst Maya is reconnecting with family and rediscovering her roots 
and her Native American Choctaw heritage, Kingpin, also arrives in town. And there's an interesting thing where it looks as though he's going to torture her and he doesn't. What he does is insert a contact lens into her eye, which is all computerized and stuff. So it means that when she looks at people, when they talk, she gets like a computer generated set of hands doing sign language so that she can understand what they're saying. And Kingpin kind of explains that he's got the same thing. Only now when she signs, he now knows what she's saying. And it seems as though Kingpin is trying to reconnect. He knows why she shot him and she understands why she shot him. There is a reference to the fact that Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin, killed his own father because his father was abusive to both him and his mother. Something that is, in fact, a direct reference to the Daredevil show from the Netflix days, which, again, brings that beautifully into Disney Plus canon. And, you know, because of that, he understands, you know, she she did what she felt she had to do. And whilst he's not pleased that she shot him in the face, he he respects that she would make that stand. But now time for games is over. It's time to come home. It's time to be his leading lieutenant again. If she wants an empire, he will give her an empire. But she has to knuckle under and do what she's told. And uh, her response to that is essentially, um, no, thank you. She doesn't put it quite that politely, but that's basically what she means. There is a bunch of other Foldy Royal, which I'm not going to get into. I'm not going to get into telling you the entire story. Watch the show. It's worth watching. But we have a denouement at the end of the fifth and final episode, which it all goes down at uh, the Choctaw powwow, which is like a, essentially it's a big state fair. It's a big garden fete by, you know, to, to put it in British parlance. With lots of Choctaw Native American culture going on and stuff like that. There's a final confrontation in which we get a real superhero element. We see a couple of times that her mother was a healer and has some kind of power in her to enable her to heal people. And Maya seems to have inherited this power. And there's a there's a, a theme running through the show that Maya's family is descended from the first Choctaw who yeah, had this mystical power. And the show gives Echo her name when she tells her grandmother and her cousin, who are, for reasons to do with the story that I won't go into, part of this final fight that they can all have echoes of their ancestors. And then she channels some very seriously badass women from her heritage. And both she and her grandma and her cousin are able to channel this power of their heritage and take out the bad guys. And then finally, when all the, 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 the thugs are down... She doesn't kill Wilson Fisk, the kingpin. She uses her healing powers on him, which he seems to find even more terrifying. 
that's that's a very brief, very rough run through of the plot. I have to say, narratively, it is very satisfying. It doesn't really leave any loose ends hanging. It presents a credible and a satisfying story, even if you factor in the superhuman bits. It all feels plausible. People behave in this show in the way that people behave. Yeah, everyone's got their own little messed up codes. Everybody has their own resentments, their own lines they won't cross, their own things they won't tolerate, and act accordingly. The characters are actually beautifully three-dimensional and well-rounded. Vincent D'Onofrio, we'll start with him, as Wilson Fisk, the kingpin of crime, is utterly stunning once again in the role. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is a physically very big man. In his youth... You may remember him from being the the guy who shoots the drill instructor in Full Metal Jacket, uh, or the guy who looks like Thor in the excellent movie Adventures in Babysitting, which I can't recommend highly enough, and I'll probably do a show on one day. But in his youth, he was quite a muscular man. These days, and I think he's actually put weight on for the role of Kingpin, these days, muscular is not the word I would use for him, but he is physically imposing, physically very, very big. He's also utterly, utterly terrifying as Kingpin. The the aura of menace that this man exudes, the way he talks, the way he looks, the way he moves, the way he makes everything he says and does seem reasonable and calm in the moment, whilst being incredibly and explosively and thoughtlessly violent. Uh, there's a scene where he essentially, he basically tells Maya she's graduated. It's, it's clear that they've had this tradition of, you know, they have dinner together every Sunday evening. And he's always got, we see several times, he's got a sign language interpreter uh, interpreting so that she can understand him and he can understand her because he's never bothered learning sign. Something that Maya does eventually point out to him. And this final dinner tells Maya, we are the only ones we can trust. And then he tells the sign language interpreter that she's dismissed. And so she walks very primly out of the room. And Maya doesn't see this, but we as the audience follow her and the camera follows her down a corridor, which we suddenly see is lined with plastic sheeting. And just as we go, we, we cut back to Kingpin telling Maya again that we are the only people that we can trust. As we hear a very strangled cry and then the <laughs> of a silenced bullet. And so we see, you know, we, we understand, although we don't see the killing, we understand that now he doesn't want this sign language interpreter around anymore. He doesn't trust her. So he just had her killed. And that's the kind of casual menace and violence that that Kingpin brings with him. And D'Onofrio's performance suggests that this simply does not factor into his concerns at all. He, he has no worries about this level of violence that he commits. He's perfectly comfortable with murder. But the fact 
that D'Onofrio plays Kingpin as so calm and so reasonable means that when we then get the bouts of explosively violent rage from Kingpin, which we do see, they are all the more shocking and all the more terrifying. He makes the Kingpin a real monster. Now, you heard in the trailer how he challenges Maya and says, you know, who's the real monster? Because we also see that Maya throughout her life has been exposed to this violence, but that she took to it naturally. And this is where I want to talk about young Maya. We're going to talk about the actress who plays old Maya, adult Maya, in a minute. I just want to come back to the the, the, the girl they've got playing young Maya. There's a girl called Dinah Bisor, and she does the role beautifully. Yeah, this girl is actually the second cousin of uh, Alakwa Cox, who plays the adult Maya. Uh, and her IMDb credits list her roles as Little Maya in Hawkeye and Young Maya in Echo. And clearly she's been cast because she is related to the woman playing the adult version of her and looks like a young version of the adult who plays the adult her. That makes sense. It made sense when I started saying it. You know what I mean. But she's good. She's really good. She plays deaf beautifully. Uh, I think the actor herself is not deaf, but she plays it beautifully. And there is a really telling scene in which we see that Wilson Fisk in his limousine has gone to pick Maya up from her not particularly prestigious school. Uh, it does beg the question why, if Fisk was taking such an interest in her, he didn't get her into a better school than the one she's in. But again, I'm going to just put that to one side for now. And we see her come out and she wants to buy an ice cream cone from the sort of little ice cream stand man. Uh, you know, those hot dog wagon things they have in New York. This is one of those, but ice cream. And because she's deaf and deaf from birth, so deaf mute, she can't t say, I would like an ice cream, please. Mint chop chip, if that's all very well. She can't say that because she doesn't speak. The ice cream man is mean to her and then sort of very dismissively just walks off, pushing his little cart. And Wilson Fisk, the kingpin of crime, sees this and is incensed that his little Maya should be treated in such a way. So he tells Maya to wait in the car, goes after the ice cream man, and beats him within an inch of his life in an alley. And he's wearing a white suit, which, which he didn't do in the Netflix Daredevil show, which he does do in the comics, so it is comics accurate, and actually quite effective here because he's wearing a white suit and it's covered in blood spatter because he's smashed this guy in the face so hard so much there's blood spatter all over him and we see him take a phone out of his pocket and ring his fixer who i suspect at this point on the timeline is still wesley uh if you've seen daredevil you know what happens to wesley but if you haven't it doesn't matter but he rings his fixer and says he's going to need a new jacket because he doesn't want maya to see the blood and then just as he's saying that, he turns around and sees Maya, who hasn't followed his instructions and has, in fact, not waited in the car, standing at the end of the alley looking at him. 
and she's looking at him covered in blood. She's looking at the ice cream man, a, a, a bloodied pulp lying at Kingpin's feet. And she walks into the alley and actually in the way a child might, gives this guy a good couple of hard kicks herself. And then Wilson Fisk and the young Maya walk off together hand in hand. And that that's that little vignette so beautifully performed by this 10-year-old girl sets up not just the relationship between Maya and Fisk, but it also sets up this is where her violence comes from. This is the lesson that she has learned from Fisk, not from her father, who was a gangster, but from Fisk. And that makes her not less culpable in any way for the violence that she commits, but it makes that violent streak in her make so much more sense. It's not just fantastic acting, it's brilliant narratively. So big shout out to Darnell Besaw. I don't know if she's going to want to have a career in acting, but if she wants one, I hope she gets one because she's clearly good enough to do it. I suppose that should bring us to our main character, Alacqua Cox, who plays Maya Lopez. Now, two things have to be said here. The first is that she has roughly the same amount of acting experience as her little cousin, which is to say, not very much. And also, that it really doesn't show. If the Internet Movie Database is to be believed, the only acting that Cox had done prior to her role in Hawkeye uh, was, what, a couple of years ago now? All she'd had, in terms of acting experience, was the ro a role as a background character in her high school play. Um, as I say, from her performance in both Hawkeye and Echo, you really wouldn't know that. It is a complex role. She is playing somebody who has a very violent past, and somebody who is not immediately, necessarily, a sympathetic character. I mean, she is introduced in Hawkeye kind of as the villain. Although Clint Barton does go out of his way to explain to her that she has been manipulated, even so, she is clearly capable of immense violence, has indeed committed immense violence. She is a killer. She has killed. Although, you know, that isn't unique amongst the good guys in the Marvel Universe. And again, Clint Barton, I am kind of looking at you. But what really strikes me, and strikes me particularly now I've seen Echo, is the vulnerability that she brings to the role whilst remaining clearly a complete force to be reckoned with. You, know, you would not mess with Maya Lopez, you absolutely would not. But she still brings that vulnerability to the role, which humanises her. And although Wilson Fisk, the kingpin, does challenge her, you know, and, and sort of says, you know, really, which one of us is really the monster? Although that does give you, as the audience, the same pause for reflection that it gives Maya, and you do think about it, the, the honest answer to, to the Kingpin's question is, well, well, you are, dude. 
you are definitely the monster. She definitely is not. And all of that is in her performance. A different actor would have produced a very different and I sort of probably think less pleasing result. I think Echo really is a good example of getting the right cast in the right place at the right time. Um, Oh, and because somebody's bound to ask, actually, before I go any further, I will just note that she is really Native American. She is of the Menominee people of Wisconsin, uh, part of the Algonquin uh, language group of peoples of North America. Uh, She is really deaf. Uh, She was born deaf. I guess, just as a side note, her cousin who plays uh, young Maya Lopez isn't, in fact, deaf and learned American Sign Language specifically for the role. And I have to say, proof if proof were needed that teaching kids languages when they're young is uh, clearly worth doing because she signs like she's been doing it all her life. But anyway, Alaco Cox, born deaf, always used ASL, therefore. Uh, And she is also genuinely an amputee. And do you know what? I'm actually genuinely quite pleased to note that you cannot find on the internet anywhere, at least that I can see, uh, why she is an amputee and what caused her need for a prosthetic leg. Uh, She simply hasn't talked about it. And good for her, actually, because I don't think it's anybody's business. So all of the things that make Echo as a character pretty unique in the Marvel Universe, um, they're natural. They are her. Which, again, perhaps might go some way to explaining why, as as an actor, she carries it off so effortlessly. It's because for those key elements of the character, she's not acting. You know, she's all. It it comes as naturally to her as as walking around on two feet does to us. It's just how things are. So she's not thinking about it, and that lends a naturalism to her performance, which is outstanding. And when she's signing, that seems natural too. I mean, I do not read sign language, and even if I did, I would be someone who would know British sign language, not American sign language, so I still would need the subtitles. But watching her converse with people using sign and doing it so naturally and making it seem so unremarkable is, again... Really powerful on a couple of levels. For a start, my goodness, does she act through it. And you, She conveys so much emotion with her hands, which is, you know, sort of helpful to, to, to a view. It really makes the, the performance pop a little bit. But it's also stunning representation because there was a time, I think, when I would have thought, if you told me, oh, there's a, this show with a deaf person in it and they sign all the time, I would have thought that would be distracting. There was a time I would have thought that. And I presume, therefore, that other people might perhaps have thought that. Watching her just normalises everything so much because it's not a thing you notice, almost. It's simply how she interacts with the world. That's great representation. And I know I keep banging on about how much representation matters, but it does. And so there's that. I've seen criticism online that Her fight choreography is not particularly convincing. Well, uh, do you know what? All I can say to that is... Well, I've got two things to say to that. Yes, in terms of its fight choreography, um, 
Her performance as Maya Lopez, it's no Charlie Cox in Daredevil. I will give her that. Okay. But she's no Danny Rand from Iron Fist either. In that, you know, yeah, yes, of course the fight choreography is not as good as it is in Daredevil. Daredevil, you need to understand how outstanding the fight choreography in Daredevil actually was. There was fight choreography in the Netflix Daredevil show that hasn't been matched by the movies. So the the echo is not up to that level. You know, fine. It's not actually supposed to be a show about martial arts. Yes, she she's a fighter. She does hand-to-hand stuff. Uh, it's made clear in several flashbacks that she's been doing kickboxing and that kind of thing all her life. But... Danny Rand in Iron Fist was supposed to be the greatest martial artist in the world, and let's be really honest, really wasn't. And I think the fight choreography in Echo is better than it was in Iron Fist. So, as as an actor, as an individual, Cox has no background in martial arts. She played basketball in school, but then, you know, her career up until her acting break has been, you know, working for Amazon and FedEx and working in a nursing home. You know, she she hasn't been training to be like some martial arts movie star. That's not been her career path. So of course, of course, she isn't like a Dan Black Belt. And I'll be really honest, it doesn't matter because she brings such conviction to the performance and such a sense of purpose and when it's called for, menace, that you just believe that she can beat up a room full of thugs because that's the energy she brings to it. That's what acting's for. So she's she's an excellent lead. And I really hope she goes on, if she wants one, uh, like her cousin, to have a, a, a really strong career. Because if... It hasn't already become obvious, I should say. I am a serious fan. I think she's awesome. Probably the best thing in a show that has a whole lot of really great things in it. And so perhaps we should wrap up by taking a look at some of the other key characters in the show. Um, We have Chasque Spencer as Henry Black Crow Lopez, who is Maya Lopez's cousin. He is the the guy who kind of runs Fisk's operation on the ground in Maya's home village. And he also runs a roller derby, a roller, not even a roller derby, a roller rink, which I wasn't aware they were still a thing in America, kind of hoping that that's not licensed and that it really actually is a thing. Uh, he's great. He kind of plays a slightly frustrated role in that he really would have preferred it, I think, if his cousin hadn't turned up and started making trouble. But once she does, and once it's clear that Fisk's thugs are gunning for Maya, he steps up. And he, it's a great, a great supporting role. Um, one that's matched, I think, by Devery Jacobs as Bonnie, who is another of Maya's cousins. Uh, this is the cousin 
that she was like sisters with when she was young before her father took her away to New York. And I really like the dynamic between those two as well, because initially Maya doesn't want to see Bonnie. Uh, she thinks like seeing her would complicate things a little bit. And when Bonnie finds out that Maya is in town, she's both hurt and furious. And I, again, I recognize that dynamic. Um, a much more complicated character, I think, is um, Chula, who is Maya's grandma, um, played by Tantu Cardinal. She is clearly the matriarch of the family. Uh, she's never forgiven Maya's father um, for the death of Maya's mother, uh, Chula's daughter. She works for the post office, uh, but she... She's clearly the one that everyone in the family looks up to and goes to. And she's clearly the sort of the family repository of the traditions and the heritage of the family. She's the one who knows the origin stories uh, of the Choctaw people. She's the one who kind of can explain what's going on. And she's the one who first takes Maya seriously when Maya goes to her and tries to explain the supernatural experiences that she's been having. And it's a role that could so easily have been a cliché. Um, you know, there's the, sort of the wise old woman. You know, the, the, he's, he's a cliché in, in all kinds of stories from all kinds of cultures. And it would have been very easy for the Tula character to fall into that bracket. And she doesn't. And I, I, I think that's partly helped by the performance of Graham Greene as Scully. Now, I knew I'd seen this guy before, so I actually looked him up. And um, he's been in Dancers with Wolves, which I have seen. He's been in The Green Mile. Uh, he was in the, uh, the Maverick movie with um, Mel Gibson. Um, again, which I've seen. I don't remember him from that. I think what I must remember him from is um, American Gods. And he, again, has a difficult supporting role. He's the grandfather figure. It's actually not clear to me, at least, whether he was ever married to Tula. But they were clearly together at one point. They are no longer together. I, the impression I got was it was the death of Maya's mother that was sort of the spark which broke that family apart and he is no longer with Tula either although again they clearly do have a relationship still you know they're not they don't hate each other they're just not together and he manages to convey that you know he has some real sadness about that it's never overtly mentioned but it is evident in his performance when he talks when Scully talks about Tula, but also when he talks to her, um, his deep love for Tula is evident. That's hard to act. He also brings a kind of quiet competence to the role, which again is important to the role. Scully clearly is that kind of grandfather that if your grandfather is not like this, you know someone who has a grandfather like this. Uh, he's the grandfather figure who mends stuff and makes 
stuff. Uh, when Maya needs a new prosthetic leg, it's Scully that she goes to, and he manufactures one, uh, initially out of an old bike, which actually not sure is possible, but it's not the most far-fetched thing in the whole show, so we're going to let it roll. And Green's performance as Scully allows Scully to be essentially a, a character who is the embodiment of a hug. Not deeply involved in the action, but ever present on the sidelines, always supportive, always looking out for people, always ready to do what is required of him to support the people he cares about, which is an oft overlooked, but actually incredibly important role, not just in story, but in life. Then, finally, there is Biscuits, uh, played by Cody Lightning, who is another cousin of Maya, and there's a real small town feel to this show uh, and this setting. Very deliberately, I think, contrasted against the New York setting of Hawkeye. In this show, everybody is somebody's cousin. And Biscuits is, again, just first of all, just thrilled to see his cousin when he stumbles across Maya as Maya's sort of camping out in her old house. And just instantly ready, in the way some families are like this, you know, just instantly ready to help. You know, he doesn't really need to know the details. She's his cousin. She asked him for help. Of course he's going to do it. He is a character that spends the entire show, um, all five episodes, challenging himself to do what he's been asked to do and ultimately coming through and doing it. Not making a fuss, occasionally screwing up, but just not giving up. It's a it's a wonderfully sympathetic portrayal. Uh, and I, I like Tantu Cardinal, like Devery Jacobs, like like Chaske Spencer, I well, like Alakwa Cox, to be honest. I have not seen these actors in anything else. And I think that's a huge shame because they're brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So I cannot fault any of the performances. I can't fault the writing. And I think I should also probably just pause for a second and mention just how good this looks. It's beautifully shot. The cinematography and the direction are sublime. I mean, I'm not suggesting you do this, but if you were to turn the sound off and just watch the show in silence and just just watch the pictures, I think not only would you know what was going on, which is a real sign of good um, screen direction, but I think also you would recognise the artistry. It, every frame of this is a work of art. It's beautiful to look at. The special effects are good. Uh, the villains are great. Touched on Vincent D'Onofrio's performance as Wilson Fisk already. I'm not going to go back into detail about this. But again, he is a complicated villain, beautifully played. And I think finally, or at least almost finally, in the same vein, I think there has to be some mention of Andrew Howard as the sort of head thug, Zane. Um, he plays Zane with a real swagger that just oozes utter, utter confidence. 
even if that confidence is a little bit misguided. And he adds a little note of ridiculousness to the role. Um, he's also Welsh, and I don't know whether he's leaning into his Cardiff accent or not. But again, that just adds a little bit of incongruity to the character. You're not expecting a Welsh accent in this show. And again, the fact that nobody remarks on it, it just is. I felt I thought it was brilliant. It makes Zane feel just that little bit more alien. Just sets him apart a little bit. And his ultimate fate in the show, I think, is just just completely over the top and utterly spectacular. And again, carried off with what I can only describe as a plum. So, as I say, I'm a fan. I, th I think you are probably getting the idea that I really, really liked this show. And I think if I have a criticism, it is that it was only five episodes. I think it could easily have carried six. It could probably have carried eight. I'm certainly left with questions and I'm certainly left wanting more. And I suppose that's kind of a good thing, isn't it? You know, I will be very, very happy if we get an Echo season two. In fact, I will be furious if we don't. I'd love to see the character interact a little more with Charlie Cox as Daredevil. I think that would be great. And as I said, right at the start of this, which was so long ago now, you may not remember, but she is, as far as I am concerned, kind of a Daredevil character. I've only come across the character in the comics before in the Daredevil comics. So it seems like a natural fit to me. So much more of that, please. Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing more of everything. There is nothing about the show I didn't like, except that I wanted more and I thought it was too short. But apart from that, it is just sublime. And I suppose on that note, we will leave it there. And with that, we are almost, almost out of time. I am just going to drop a little bit of news into this extraordinarily review-heavy show. Uh, the first is that it is rumoured, I don't think we've had this confirmed by Disney Plus yet, so I'm not counting my chickens, but it is suggested that now they've decided they're going to do a little bit of rethinking and rewriting on the forthcoming daredevil born again show for disney plus they are re they have what well, they aren't reconsidering they have reconsidered the decision not to bring back foggy nelson and karen page from the netflix show and that they will both be back played by the original actors the the brilliant eldon hessen and uh, deborah ann wall which I, I could not be more thrilled I love them both as Foggy and Karen. And 
I think both Foggy and Karen are kind of integral to Daredevil as as a, as a, as a certainly as a comic. I can't really fathom the idea of Daredevil without Foggy and Karen somewhere. So very pleased about that. Less pleased that the other show that Matt Murdock has appeared in, um, the She-Hulk show, uh, may not be getting a second series. Tatiana Maslany has given an interview in which she suggests that she's not expecting to get called back. She thinks that the season that they've done kind of burned their budget and that Disney Plus is not anxious to spend that kind of money again. And I, I, I sort of see that. She-Hulk was a very heavy CGI user as a show. Um, the CGI was not all that great because CGI is so expensive. I think Disney was just not keen to give it the budget that it needed. Uh, but I'll be sorry if that's true. Um, I love Tatiana Maslany, as I believe I may have mentioned when I was reviewing the She-Hulk show back when it was first new. And I also love Jennifer Walters as She-Hulk. I, I, I love the character. And I said this at the time. I'm going to say it again in case anyone from Disney Plus is listening. It was the most comics accurate show that Disney Plus has ever done. It was much more comics accurate than anything else in the, the MCU. And yeah, please don't stop doing the thing you did so beautifully. Yes, the ending was a little bit too meta. But so have been many of the She-Hulk comics. So it was fine. Just don't don't drop it. Please, please, Disney, don't, don't. Thank you. OK. And so there we have it. We come chugging to the end of yet another show. Next week, we're going to be a little science heavy or possibly a little sort of space heavy. Maybe a little of both. Having spent very much the thick half of an hour doing a review of one particular show today, uh, I'm not going to do reviews again for a bit. Uh, so just in the last 30 seconds, then, I am just going to mention Reacher Season 2, which I am enjoying, but which I don't think works as well as Reacher Season 1 did. For reasons I will probably go into at a later date. I would be very interested in what you guys think of Reacher Season 1 and Season 2. So info at destinationvenus.co.uk is the place to send your views on that and literally anything else geek-related. If you've got any suggestions, any comments, any any feedback, info at destinationvenus.co.uk is the place to send it. I read everything. I don't always respond, but I do read everything. That is also the place to send any information you have about geeky events that you may or may not be involved with. Um, we aren't doing a Geek Community Notice Board this week because I don't have anything to put on it. But, you know, it's still there. If you've got stuff going on, let me know. I will happily give you a plug. But for now, that is all we have time for. All that remains for me to do is to tell you that Geeking with Destination Venus is a Venus Rising Media production, proudly, very proudly, made in Yorkshire. We will be back next week. Same time. Same listening device, unless you choose to use a different listening device. Honestly, I'm not your boss. You can do what you like. So we will see you all then. Until we do, be kind to yourself. Be kind to absolutely everybody else. Stay safe. Stay sane. And above all else, just stay geeky. Yeah, you knew I was going to say that, didn't you? We'll see you soon.
Take care, folks.